COVID crackdown on illegal bars. Everybody was wearing a mask. Everybody was wearing a mask. Another speakeasy busted with other operators on notice. More bang for the buck to control the pandemic. Pfizer has assured us that Canada will uh, receive 4 million doses. Why there is now a bonus shot in every vial of COVID vaccine. And BC Ferries plans for an electric future. Why it's going to need federal money to power the project. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Despite all of the guidelines and the warnings, some people are still not getting the message that large gatherings are a bad idea. The latest example, Surrey RCMP busting what they're calling an illegal nightclub. But as Grace Key reports, the alleged nightclub host has his own version of what happened. People have parties in their house, that doesn't mean they're having a nightclub. Jig Bufumeri Albert denies running an illegal nightclub inside his Wally residence on King George Boulevard, where he also has a towing business. He invited us inside to show us that it's not a club. Albert says his daughter was celebrating her 23rd birthday and friends wanted to come over. And when he came, he showed up with a friend. At that point, I wouldn't be able to say, you know what, don't come in because the door was open. So he came in, we were, you know, playing music chit-chatting, playing cards. Surrey RCMP say 22 people were there Saturday night. Alcohol was being sold and no one was wearing masks. Albert denies those allegations. 26 violation tickets were issued, totaling almost $6,000. Police say some party goers were belligerent. Police say individuals tied to the illegal club were issued COVID-related fines three other times. It was clear that, you know, they the message just is not um, being received by them. Uh, so in this case, we decided to issue them an appearance notice to deal with the matter in court. On January 23rd, Albert says he was treated for police dog bites after ERT was called to his home for a report of a woman being assaulted with a weapon, which he denies. He said police broke several windows and filled his home with gas. He was arrested five hours later. Albert says he was sleeping and didn't hear the commotion. Albert says 15 people were overplaying cards and he was given a $2,300 fine for hosting an event. And in August, he says he was given another $2,300 fine when he had three people over. It's really hard to stay indoor and he started thinking about so many crazy things, you know. So sometimes he just want to relax, you know, have a drink and just... In the recent gathering, fines of $230 were issued for attending a non-compliant event, failure to wear a face covering, and belligerent behavior. Albert has retained a lawyer. Grace Key, Global News. Since the penalties were brought in, the province has issued 955 tickets. Of those, 155 were the $2,300 tickets to owners and organizers of events. 29 were food and liquor issues and also $2,300 each. 771 mask violations at $230 each, and 93 quarantine violations, totaling more than $102,000. These numbers do not include criminal charges or municipal bylaw offenses. Well, a crackdown could be coming for those still flouting the rules attending church services in B.C. Sarah McDonald is live outside B.C. Supreme Court. Sarah, the provincial health officer and the attorney general are now seeking an injunction. 
That's right, Sophie. They will be on Friday when the back and forth between those several churches and the province escalates, this time to B.C. Supreme Court. On Friday, the province's top doctor, Dr. Bonnie Henry, and Health Minister Adrian Dix will both have lawyers in court seeking an order of injunction against the leadership of three lower mainland churches that have been openly flouting COVID-19 regulations for months now. That's Riverside Calvary in Langley, the Free Reformed Church of Chilliwack, and Emmanuel Covenant Reformed Church in Abbotsford. If granted, that order would prevent all clergy members and elders of those specific churches from gathering at their respective houses of worship and from organizing any gathering classified as an event under provincial health orders. Now, perhaps most controversially, that order would also give police new powers if granted officers would be able to detain any congregant believed to be even planning to attend any religious services at any of those three churches going forward. So we'll find out if that injunction is granted on Friday when the legal battle over the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in the provinces and those select churches continues. Sophie. All right, we'll look for that on Friday. Thanks for that, Sarah. In the meantime, here's a look at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 435 new cases pushing BC's total past 71,000. There have been four more deaths, which means we've now lost 1,263 people to complications of the virus. 241 people are in hospital, 68 patients in the ICU. 65,618 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 4,393 active cases and 6,879 people in self-isolation. Well, deliveries of COVID-19 vaccine to Canada are still way behind schedule, but Health Canada has now changed its rules to allow six doses to be extracted from each vial of the Pfizer vaccine instead of five. And that change should allow Pfizer to meet its commitment to ship four million doses by March. Aaron MacArthur shows us how the secret is in the syringe. It's a small change with huge consequences. Each vial of Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine should now contain six doses. The volume of liquid isn't changing, but Health Canada says there is enough to reliably draw an extra dose. Health Canada requires that vaccine vials include a certain amount of overfill per vial to ensure that there is sufficient volume to extract the expected number of doses. The manufacturer pushed for the change on the label to include this sixth dose, and Health Canada has agreed with the pharmaceutical giant. Without increasing the number of vials it is shipping, Pfizer claims it can now meet its promised goal of 4 million doses to Canada by the end of March. What was supposed to be 336,000 doses next week will now be counted as 400,000. The last week of February, the count will rise from 395,000 to 475,000. It is frustrating. Even with specialized syringes, some provinces are reporting a problem drawing the sixth dose consistently. Alberta has urged Health Canada to reject Pfizer's request. In BC, there are estimates that sixth dose can only be drawn about half the time. Yes, so to our knowledge, uh, most provinces did not have uh, the appropriate syringe that we're now distributing uh, this week. We're presented with changes, we adjust, we adapt and we deal with the changes. In addition to the new syringes, training will begin to ensure every vial is being used as efficiently as possible. Pfizer will be responsible to report issues with drawing all of the doses to Health Canada quarterly. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
All right, Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, uh, a lot of people will notice that our daily death rate is dropping. Is this connected to the vaccinations that have been prioritized for long-term care homes? Certainly seems to me, Chris. We've been tracking this for a few weeks now. Since the vaccination rollout began, just a couple weeks into it, the numbers at the long-term care homes look uh, increasingly positive. It's the hardest-hit sector, of course, since the beginning of the pandemic. Hundreds of people have died in long-term care. But in the last month or so, things have been improving. Take a look at what I'm talking about here. Right now, we have 17 outbreaks, which is a lot, but it's down from 52 from just mid-January, an astonishing decline. We have 50% fewer residents in facilities with outbreaks since mid January and fewer deaths are occurring in long-term care. You know, through the pandemic, about 63% of all the deaths were attributed to uh, people in long-term care facilities and assisted living and such. The last six days, I've been tracking the numbers of about 53 people have have passed away of COVID-19. The percentage in long-term care homes, though, has gone from 63% to 43%, and hopefully that trend will continue. The vaccination seems to be paying off in our worst-hit sector since the pandemic began. Hopefully that trend continues. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Ottawa is letting some self-employed Canadians who were to repay the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, CERB, off the hook. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau cleared up the confusion about repayment requirements today. Trudeau says self-employed recipients who access CERB based on their gross income instead of net income will not have to pay Ottawa back as long as they met all the other eligibility criteria. Ottawa also announced today it's tightening requirements for people crossing into the country at a land border. As of February 15th, non-essential travelers returning via a land border will need to show a 72-hour negative PCR test. That's the same as the requirement for air travel. The PM says Canadians won't be turned away but could face fines of up to $3,000 if they don't comply. Meantime, Air Canada has announced it's temporarily cutting 1,500 more jobs. The layoffs affect unionized employees and management staff. Next week, Air Canada will also temporarily suspend service on 17 routes to the U.S. and other destinations. That's expected to last until at least the end of April. The Vancouver to London, as well as the Vancouver to Narita, Japan, and the Vancouver to Seattle routes will be affected. Well... After 20 years on the air, Vancouver sports talk station TSN 1040 was shut down today. We have some news to share today about changes to our programming. As of today, CKST will no longer be a sports talk radio station. This was a difficult decision. That announcement caught listeners and most of the station's staff by surprise. More than two dozen on-air hosts and producers abruptly lost their jobs this morning. Bell Media, which owns the station, also pulled the plug on two other all-sports broadcasters, TSN 1290 AM in Winnipeg and TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Those cuts follow the elimination of more than 100 positions across Canada by Bell in the past few weeks. As of Friday, Friday, AM 1040 will be reformatted to broadcast pre-recorded comedy. Delta Council apparently wants some answers about how the Delta Police came to hire an outside PR firm to handle communications. That firm was paid $42,000 for advice after the police chief's wife was involved in an incident at their property. Now the mayor is openly questioning whether the Police Act needs to be amended. Catherine Urquhart explains why. 
$42,000 of Delta taxpayers' money was spent on a pricey PR firm. Council members want to know specifically how that money was spent and at Monday night's council meeting agreed to send a letter to the police board asking for more information with a copy cc'd to the solicitor general. We are entitled to know how the money is being spent, with what value is it being spent, not just the money being spent. And there's a fine line here, but it has to do with integrity. Councillors say they've been getting questions from taxpayers and they want to be able to provide answers. Last week, Delta's deputy chief revealed the $42,000 was spent on crisis communications as Chief Neil Dubord's wife Lorraine was being investigated for assaulting Kieran Sadu, who she allegedly hosed down in front of her property. And I said that would be assault, like I very clearly said that to her. And she went and got her hose and sprayed me. The department initially refused to provide any information about the secret spending, despite a freedom of information request from Global News. Delta Mayor George Harvey says the matter has put him in an impossible position, as he must remain neutral when he's in his role as chair of the police board. The media recently asked me an important question about an incident revolving the use of taxpayer funds in the Delta Police Department. The current restrictions mean I had to stay silent in my role as chair of the board, relegating me to play the part of a defenseless punching bag. Council approved a motion to make a submission to the Provincial Special Committee on Reforming the Police Act. In response, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth told Global News that police boards carry out their civilian governance and oversight role independently of municipal councils to restrict political interference in policing and law enforcement. The role of the mayor as chair is to ensure the municipality and the board work closely in approving the budget. Delta police still refuse to say which PR firm was paid the $42,000 and what exactly they did to warrant the expenditure. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A Vancouver activist is at the center of wild allegations that he's influencing public opinion in the Indian farmers' protests by paying millions of dollars to celebrities to post about it. That story next on the News Hour. I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. <laughs> yes, you are. It's a catastrophe. The Zoom filter fiasco that turned this virtual Texas courtroom into a comedy coming up later. And yet another dog rescue, and this one involved an airlift by North Shore Rescue. A warning to anyone taking their best friend into the backcountry, coming up. In the meantime, B.C. has become the center of an alleged international conspiracy surrounding the ongoing protests in India. Indian police and media are now investigating allegations a Vancouver activist is paying millions of dollars to international celebrities so that they'll post about the dispute and further divide the country. Neetu Garcha reports. From his quiet Vancouver office, Mo Dhaliwal is dealing with a firestorm involving what he calls absurd allegations. Accusing us of personally paying Rihanna two and a half million dollars for a tweet. The BC man, the subject of coverage across major news networks in India, linking him to an alleged conspiracy to divide that nation with the help of pop star Rihanna and climate activist Greta Thunberg, both who tweeted in support of Indian farmers. Gave anti-India speeches from right outside the Indian consulate 
in Vancouver. If you see somebody with a sign that you don't understand, that has this bad word Khalistan on it, ask questions. In his January 26 speech, Dhaliwal says he brought up Khalistan, a push for an independent state which had its peak decades ago, to support everyone's right to be a part of the demonstration, a message he says has been taken dangerously far out of context. It's hard not to be nervous when you're getting phone calls and death threats from local numbers. Hundreds of these messages, including images of dead six, also coming in through the inboxes of the Poetic Justice Foundation, a non-profit he co-founded in March of 2020 and which helped create the website askindiawhy.com. We're not spreading any hateful messages of India. We're not trying to you know, deride India in any way. But we're saying, let's just pay attention to what's happening here. Uh, and ask India why it's treating its own citizens this way. India's government has maintained its commitment to negotiating with farmers and says its controversial internet blackouts are in the interest of public safety. For BC journalist Gurpreet Singh, who's been protesting the press clampdown, the rhetoric around this story and what many call state-backed media is familiar. They have tried to vilify me, they have tried to vilify my wife, who happens to be in MLA. They are now accusing her of standing up for farmers because... According to them, her campaign was run by the Khalistanis, which makes no sense. Surrey MLA Rachna Singh says with so much international spotlight on India, this is a turning point. And I give credit to the farmers for that. With their persistence, with the way they have handled this whole protest, it is being covered all over the world. For Daliwal, he says his focus remains on shedding light on the farmers' plight and supporting the activists and journalists who remain jailed for doing the same. Neetu Garcha, Global News. And tomorrow, in part two of our series, we look at how clashes on India's Republic Day marked a change in tone for an otherwise peaceful movement and why what may lie ahead is bringing up traumatic memories and fears. The CEO of the Royal BC Museum in Victoria has resigned. Nick Lohman is stepping down two months after a diversity and inclusion investigation found the museum to be a dysfunctional and toxic workplace. Lohman, who had been the CEO since 2012, told staff he was leaving to give new energy and leadership to the museum. In a statement, the museum board of directors and Lohman agreed that his leaving is in the best interests of the organization. One man has been hospitalized after a frightening crash inside a Vancouver car service center. Vancouver firefighters and paramedics were called to the Audi downtown service building on West 3rd just before noon. Somehow, a car had fallen off the vehicle elevator platform, getting lodged partway down the elevator shaft. Vancouver Fire Rescue Service Special Operations Team managed to stabilize the car, cut it open and safely extricate the man. He was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The cause of the accident is under investigation. Just ahead, lost in translation. Why Apple ditched a Made in BC First Nations language app and how Consumer Matters helped bring it back. And later, electrifying the fleet at BC Ferries and why they'll need federal money to do it. Lots of emergency crews on scene to a crash here eastbound on Lougheed Highway just before Pitt River Road in the right lane. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max dreamed to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on Lougheed Highway. Near a B.C. developer accused of leaving prospective homebuyers in the lurch is now doing jail time south of the border. Some homebuyers in the lower mainland might recognize Mark Chandler's name for his connection to the Murrayville House condos. Units were sold to multiple buyers. Some people never moved in. 
If you scroll through court records online here in B.C., you'll find more than 120 civil cases involving Chandler. The cases here stem from allegations of real estate fraud, and it was similar charges south of the border that led to a recent judgment handed down in an L.A. court. He pled guilty last October to charges of wire fraud in California. The civil cases in B.C. have not resulted in any decision so far. A first-year university student from Prince Rupert was shocked to learn the Indigenous language app he had developed was yanked from the Apple App Store. He wanted to teach others and preserve his own language, but soon found out Apple mistakenly accused him of some serious allegations. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea now, who helped resolve this. And Thanks, Chris. Brendan Esham says when his language app disappeared, he received an automated email from Apple accusing him of dishonest and fraudulent acts. Brendan says he was confused and couldn't get answers from Apple about the allegations, so he turned to Consumer Matters for help. Mangoon or Headwaters. It's the language of the Simshian First Nation, and Brendan Esham has created an app to share and preserve the North Coast traditional language with the world. Entahawal, or quiver. Well, it means the world to me. Ever since I've been, ever since my youth, I've heard my grandparents speak it around me, and they've always encouraged me to learn. In November of 2019, Brendan created this website, and soon after this past July, launched the free Indigenous language app on Google Play and the Apple App Store, where users learn a new word each day. Skatsu, or mouth of river. Many others, just like myself, were interested in sustaining the Somaliac language, as well as celebrating the indigenous heritage that goes along with it. Brendan says the language app was gaining traction when, without notice, it suddenly disappeared on Apple. I just vanished. So at that point, I had about 600 downloads on the Apple App Store, which actually made me get to the education category top charts. Brendan says he received an automated email from Apple telling him it was terminating his status as an Apple developer pursuant to the Apple developer agreement for dishonest and fraudulent acts related to that agreement. It was definitely concerning when Apple's accusing you of committing fraud. He says he reached out to Apple multiple times for an explanation but couldn't get any answers. It was definitely even more discouraging to not even hear why they took it down in the first place. That's when Brendan reached out to Consumer Matters for help. We contacted Apple asking why Brendan's app was removed and why his status on Apple had been terminated. Immediately, we received a response. In an email, Apple stating, Unfortunately, this developer's app, which is a great example of how technology can be used to bridge cultural understanding, was mistakenly removed from the App Store. We regret this error and apologize to Mr. Esham for the inconvenience this caused him. We have since reinstated his developer account and app. Now being able to have access and taking control of the app again fe- feels really encouraging. Luam God, or happy. Brendan says with the return of his app, he's now focused on his future, continuing to use innovative technology to share his knowledge, culture, and language. Hook or sharpshooter. And just to add, Apple says over half a million developer accounts were terminated in 2020 for fraudulent activity, which resulted in their apps being removed from sale. But Apple says, regrettably, Brendan's developer account was included with the removals. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Thanks very much, Ann.
thinking Brendan might get a few more downloads. Mm -hmm. I, would, mm -hmm. I would bet. All right, BC Ferries is asking for financial support from the federal government to help transition part of its fleet to all-electric operation. Well, the plan already has widespread popular support. The price tag is steep. Tetranecki reports. Too much fanfare, those two hybrid electric BC ferries were put into service last year on runs to Texada Island and Alert Bay. But most of the time, these ferries are powered by a diesel generator that creates the electricity to power the motors. So now the corporation's asking municipal governments to support its bid to Ottawa, looking for close to $300 million in stimulus money to help complete the island electrification program. We in Nanaimo uh, would welcome this. We do welcome it. It's why the council supported it unanimously. The money would be used to make these two ferries, the Island Discovery and Aurora, and four more vessels coming from shipyards in Romania next year, to be fully electric by adding electrical charging stations at up to 18 ports of call. Until then, North America's largest ferry fleet will operate only hybrid electric vessels. May God bless you and I wish you all the best. Meanwhile, the newest ferries for Lake Ontario are fully electric, the first in North America. The smaller of the pair, the Amherst Islander II, also built in Romania, can carry 42 cars. Ferry electrification is a big promising future for any shipbuilder, and BC's workforce wants in on the action. We think it's exciting that, uh, that ferries is moving forward to electrify the, the fleet, but uh, clearly if they, want to, uh, if they want to do this and they want to get the federal, federal government involved, then all this work should stay in British Columbia. We would be happy to support it if they do. During last fall's election, the Premier campaigned on reviving BC's shipbuilding. Focuses on partnering with made in BC solutions in places like C SPAN here, Point Hope in Victoria, the Alberni shipyards in Port Alberni. BC Ferries is not commenting on its proposal until after it's in Ottawa's hands. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Well, there are now four chances of snow between now and Sunday. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is standing by with details about the first chance. Christy? Thanks. Minimal amounts expected from this snowfall event, Sophie. It is going to push in tomorrow morning. The key is that it will happen likely during the commute, so that's why we're really highlighting it. But zero to two centimeters of snow possible for Metro Vancouver. The key areas we'll be watching is really the Sunshine Coast area and parts of Vancouver Island. In the late morning and afternoon hours, we're going to see a strong outflow wind develop. Very gusty winds through the Fraser Valley, but this could produce some very localized and heavy snowfall events for the east coast of Vancouver Island and Sunshine Coast. So light amounts for our area, but still the potential for some snow, which is exciting. Oh, exciting. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. We'll talk to you in a bit. For kids who want to go tobogganing, sure. almost no one else. <laughs> All right, just ahead, the guy who kept the big spenders happy. I didn't think that much about it. Um, to be direct and honest about it, it didn't concern me. His perspective on the piles of cash flowing into BC casinos. And Pet Rescue, the airlift that got a dog and its owners out of big trouble on the North Shore. Good evening and good news. The tow truck has just arrived on scene to a stall northbound just past the north end of the Patello Bridge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge.
The Cullen Commission heard today from the man formerly in charge of developing Great Canadian Gaming's VIP program. Walter Sue brought in the high-stakes gamblers, and today, when asked about the risk of suspicious cash, Sue said that was not his concern. John Waugh reports. Crude as it sounds, we were serving hamburgers they won at stake. It was Walter Sue's job to help Great Canadian attract high rollers with a premium VIP experience. People that would uh, be emotionally prepared and financially capable of building very large, playing very large sums of money. But when it came to any risks associated with increased amounts of cash coming into casinos, Great Canadian's former vice president of player and gaming development told the Cullen Commission that was left to those in charge of compliance and law enforcement. I didn't think that much about it. Um, to be direct and honest about it, it didn't concern me. Sue was concerned about how a government mandate to keep casinos cash only turned some players off. In 2004, he said an attempt to introduce player accounts and casino credit conflicted with policies meant to promote responsible gaming. Money makes them feel dirty. Money made them feel seedy. There was also a section of the clientele Sue told the commission was predominantly from mainland China and had no problems with dealing in cash. They're used to playing with cash in their world. When they come over here, they're used to playing with it. Sue was questioned about a 2014 business case to open a new high roller suite at the River Rock, which mentioned how campaigns against corruption and money laundering in Macau by Chinese and U.S. authorities might drive players to B.C. PRC VIPs will encounter more restrictions to access funds for gaming in Macau and Las Vegas, reducing their desire to frequent these destinations and diverting their play to the River Rock Casino. Sue told the commission this wasn't mentioned as a business opportunity, just a geopolitical observation. These people just didn't want profile in Macau anymore at that point in time. Commission counsel also asked Sue about any communication he had with fellow Richmond Oval board member Peter German after he was hired by the province to write a report on money laundering in B.C. On the one hand, he probably assumed that I knew, but he needed to know that I know. Sue made it clear he never directed German to not interview him for the report, but did speak with him to address what he called the elephant in the room. We're here for port business. Let's just concentrate on that. Let's ensure that there's no conflict or even perception of conflict. We don't need to talk about it. And if you need to talk about it, you know where I work. German never did reach out. When the Cullen Commission asked Sue if he thought proceeds of crime might have entered great Canadian casinos, the man who built a career around knowing high rollers said he never saw a thing. John Hua, Global News. A group of people and a dog have been lifted off Mount Seymour after one of the hikers became injured. The group was hiking on Dog Mountain, and when they reached the viewpoint, their dog started chasing a bird and fell off one of the cliffs. The dog's owner tried to reach the animal, but also fell and was hurt in the process. The group called for help, and North Shore Rescue sent in a helicopter. It is very important when you are taking uh, dogs on, on hikes that they have a secure harness and that they don't get away chasing animals, because this, this has happened to a number of times uh, where either the dog gets gets killed or injured or the owner who tries to go and get them uh, gets injured themselves. 
Today's rescue follows one yesterday that involved an unleashed Rottweiler who fell in Cypress Falls Park in West Vancouver. Boss was pulled to safety by West Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services. In Health Matters tonight, BC's First Nations will get more information about COVID-19 in the areas surrounding their communities. Thanks to a new agreement with Dr. Bonnie Henry, the deal will help them better protect themselves during the pandemic. But as Kylie Stanton reports, they say it still falls short of what they need. One, two, three. With every vaccine administered, there's a little more light at the end of the tunnel. But this pandemic still has many BC First Nations feeling left in the dark. We should have information at our fingertips that will be uh, useful to our community and keeping our community safe. Now, after seven months of negotiations, changes are in the works. A new information sharing agreement between a coalition of First Nations and BC's provincial health officer will provide more detailed information about COVID-19 case numbers in nearby communities. It's being able to warn our members of the risk that is out in the surrounding communities. Each nation has negotiated its own list of proximate communities. And while it may seem extensive, the agreement has its limitations. There will be a lag in reporting of at least six days. The information is only disclosed to a designated recipient and specifics must remain confidential. We're not allowed to share the number of cases with our members, with anybody, with the public until there are thresholds that are met. In a statement, Dr. Bonnie Henry said, my office is sharing information in the spirit of reconciliation, to realize self-governance and self-determination, and to ensure an effective public health response to COVID-19. Pandemics and stigma are an old story for Indigenous people. Still, the information being provided won't address the racism and discrimination these communities are facing when trying to access health care. People saying, I would rather die and not get the needed health care treatment than go back into that system and get it. We have a lot of work to do. You know, we have to change the laws, the systems, the policies. You know, to truly reconcile with Indigenous people, you know, this work, you know, definitely uh, needs to, to, you know, be undertaken. The agreement is one step, casting a little light on a very dark past. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, the little store that's still a hit at 40. So many of our customers are like half the age of our store. Neptune Records celebrates four decades in business, not just surviving, but thriving. And a Texas court case takes a weird turn with a Zoom call you won't forget. All right, way too many chances for snow. Mm -hmm. For those of us who no longer like <laughs> shoveling, coming up in the next little while. Here's Christy with the details. <laughs> Well, I tell you, the key that I want to point out is Saturday for everyone. Pull out your toboggans, and yes, you'll need to shovel on Saturday. Uh, four chances of snow, as we talked about. I'm going to take you through them. First, a cold. Yes, tonight's going to get very cold out through the Fraser Valley and in eastern parts of Metro Vancouver. We're talking about wind chills down to minus 11, minus 12. And tomorrow will be even colder, so make sure you're prepared for that cold. Here's a look at that chance of snow. If we can click it forward, what's going on here? Um, here's a look at that chance. 
chance of snow. So the system's going to drive down from the north. We'll see light snow across the region. Again, one of the key areas we're watching is the Sunshine Coast. In the afternoon, the strong Arctic outflow intensifies. That's when we could get these isolated pockets of intense snowfall in Sunshine Coast and east parts of Vancouver Island. So we'll be watching that late morning into the afternoon hours. And then we've got another system that's going to track south of our region Friday morning. That's chance number two. Minimal amounts likely. More so, it's chance number three that is the biggest chance of snow and then I'm excited for that's on Saturday. Sunday, like we'll likely see snow change over to periods of rain. So sunshine tomorrow over the next little while. We are going to see cold conditions and we'll see it right through the weekend. For our region, it's light snow in the morning with anywhere from two, zero to two centimeters for Metro Vancouver. As I mentioned, the key in terms of real snowfall will be Saturday uh, with the snow potentially shoveling type snow. And here's your central windows weather window for tonight showing the blue sky from today and all of that snow and hope. Nice. Gorgeous. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. A Zoom court hearing in Texas turned into Internet gold when an attorney had had trouble turning off a camera filter. Cracks me up. (laughs) Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, You might want to. uh, Uh, We're trying to. Can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the- it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's I'm here live. It's not. I'm not a cat. <laughs> really? So you say. The Zoom fail was part of a live-streamed hearing. It was also later tweeted out by the judge, who said, "Important Zoom tip: If a child uses your computer before you join a virtual hearing, check the Zoom video options to be sure the filters are off." The attorney eventually figured it out, though, and the hearing proceeded. Sans cat. So cute. So cute. All right. Uh, Squire is here now. I'm suing you for a ball of string. Uh, Okay, North Vancouver's Mariel Thompson is one of the best in the world at the dangerous sport of ski cross. Try to be well-rounded and ready for anything. And she has been, and it's kept her on top of the mountain and first at the bottom many times. Also tonight, how a whole new generation of customers is keeping business booming at Neptune Records 40 years after it first opened. All right, Squires here now with sports. Yes, the Vancouver Canucks had the day off today. They had the day off to shake off the visions of Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs turning their net into a red light zone. Uh, Next up is now four straight against the Calgary Flames. Three straight at home and then one in Calgary. And the Canucks have already lost twice against the Flames this season. They could really use another visit by Ottawa. You know, I do think it's an NHL rule that eventually Brian Burke must work for every team. Today he left his broadcasting job to become the new president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He is also bringing Ron Hextall along as the new GM. Vancouver's Rebecca Marino, second round Australian Open against Marquetta Vandrusova. Bit of a rough first set for Marino. She lost at 6-1, to one, but in the second set she played much better and at one point was up 5-3. to three. That's well done from Marino. But unfortunately, Vandrusova, who was the 19th seed in this tournament, got her act back together 
and would win in a tie break in the second set. So Marino is out after the second round. Also out after the second round is number eight, Bianca Andreescu. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised by this because she had 15 months of no tennis after getting a knee injury. She lost today to uh, Shea Su Wei, 6-3-6-2. BC Lions added a couple of veterans in free agency, running back Shaq Cooper, who was with Edmonton. He does have the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield as well as run it. And receiver Lucky Whitehead is now a BC Lion. He was with the Blue Bombers, had 52 catches in 2019. That's pretty good speed. Well, he may have ended his career in Saskatchewan, but Solomon Alamimian retired today as one of the greatest BC Lions ever. A linebacker who basically tackled everything in sight. So great he was. In 2014, he was the CFL's outstanding player. Not outstanding defensive player, outstanding player, period. He also won a Grey Cup with the BC Lions and is a certain Hall of Famer. North Vancouver's Mariel Thompson has been a ski cross boss ever since she got into the sport. There's an Olympic medal in her house because of it, World Cup trophies, and while she may be the veteran or one of the veterans of the sport at the age of 28, she is still one of the best in the world. I'm good under pressure. I... I'm good when I'm behind, although I love leading. I am pretty good at making those passes when I need to. Hopefully strong starts. <laughs> um, but yeah, just try to be well-rounded and ready for anything. Attention! Muriel Thompson is in hot pursuit of another World Ski Cross Championship. Last month, she raced her way to a staggering 45th career podium position. She's been on the World Cup podium five times this season and heads into this weekend's World Championship sitting second overall in the standings. I've, I've known in seasons when I got maybe a bit too serious and I wasn't enjoying what I was doing, the results weren't there because I wasn't having fun. So I know my parents are um, really... When we were little and growing up, we really were told, like, have fun. That's what this is for. So when I get back to that, that's when I'm skiing my best. Thompson moving into second position. Fanny still in the front. There really hasn't been a season where Thompson hasn't been at her best. Big Air Mara is an Olympic gold medalist, former world champion, and a three-time FIS Crystal Globe winner. She's always a threat to land on the podium, and that'll once again be the case this weekend in Sweden at the World Championships. But about that nickname... I think it might actually be a self-given um, nickname. It was back when Twitter, um, my name was too long, and I thought M. Thompson was a little bit generic. <laughs> so I thought it rhymed, and it was fun, and I hit lots of jumps, and then I guess it kind of stuck. I didn't really mean for it to be like that. <laughs> I'm so lucky to pretty much have the most fun you can possibly have on skis um, and just in travel the world and enjoy every experience. I, I, don't, I think I'm the luckiest to be able to do what I do. Jay Janor, Global Sports. And may I say today in the sports world, we are lesser now for not having Team 1040 radio. They didn't deserve that. They should be proud of what they did over 20 years. Absolutely. Feeling shared by all of us. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, a mecca for Vancouver vinyl lovers hits a milestone. Something that's out of this world for music lovers to end the show tonight. 
Neptune Records on Main Street has been around now since January of 1981. When they started, there were record stores everywhere. Now there aren't so many, but they're still here. Forty years ago, it was stores like these where you bought new music. Download meant you put down your money and you loaded the records or CDs into a bag. At that same time, a little store named Neptune Records opened. I started a store because I'd already been putting on record swap meets. I thought maybe I should do the, like, the record swap meet and kind of like open a record store. It'd be fun. It wasn't just fun. It was also good business. Because when the big record stores died, the meek inherited the earth. And a store like Neptune was around for a new generation to develop a love for music on vinyl. So many of our customers are like half the age of our store. Which is a big shift from the early days of Neptune Records. You know, when I was working here as a little kid, it was primarily older men. That was pretty much the clientele and that was about it. But in the last 15 years, because of young people's interest, the sales of albums have gone up dramatically. So much so that selling records became a pandemic-proof business. In terms of sales, last year was your best? Yeah, this last year was the best we've ever had. Really? Yeah, absolutely, in 40 years. I think a big part of the reason why people are buying records again now, um, you know, they want to have ownership of music. With, with streaming, you never actually own the music. At certain points, those th songs might vanish off of streaming. You know, you own the record, you actually own it. And the fact Rob started the store for record lovers was what kept it going. When big stores got into the CD craze of the 90s, Neptune stayed true to the vinyl. You know, when things all of a sudden went back to vinyl, we had a lot of it. It's become an iconic Vancouver store that attracts Vancouver icons. But most importantly, it attracts what it was originally built for, record lovers of all ages. I can't imagine what the uh, executives that decided to get rid of vinyl years ago and, and what they must think now, like, like, man, were we so wrong. Yeah, it's incredible. Neil Young once said, there's magic in the hiss of a record. I agree. Yeah, there's a warmth mm -hmm. to that sound. All right, last word before we go, Christy. I think there's magic in the quietness of snowfall. So hopefully that's the case mm. during the morning commute tomorrow with light there's amounts. No, there's no warmth in it, though. <laughs> that's true. Thanks for watching, <laughs> no. everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.